Hey there, everyone. This is the people of Aquaponics, where we meet the industry's best talent and thought leaders. My name is Jonathan Reyes, and I'm the co-founder here at Aquaponics AI. And today we have the for we're fortunate to have uh, the generous and talented Sam Fleming. Sam's currently the executive director at 100 Gardens, and he's a trusted advisor for the Aquaponics Association. And for those of you who only know him in the aquaponic world, you're definitely going to want to stick around and hear about some of his other talents. So thanks for joining us, Sam. It's good to see you. Thanks, Jonathan. I appreciate the opportunity to be on the AI podcast. So tell us a little bit about 100 Gardens, your history, the vision, the people, lay it out for us. Cool. So uh, it kind of comes, I got into this very unexpectedly, but um, first, let me kind of tell you what it is. We're a North Carolina-based 501c3 nonprofit organization, and we install aquaponics greenhouses in schools and in prisons. And then we develop curriculum and provide professional development. And every time we install a system, we form a partnership with that school or institution and we help them carry on their programming long-term. So we're not in the business of selling systems, although we do provide that. Uh, we really, uh, we run programs, educational programs, and we use aquaponics as the vehicle to teach anything from STEM all the way to business and nutrition. So. Uh, it's just a well-rounded approach to education. And um, I got into this, uh, it was really kind of weird. When I was 22 years old, I was managing a hydroponics retail store and we're mostly selling uh, like, you know, hydroponic nutrients, grow lights, carbon filters, all the stuff to basically grow cannabis. And one day um, I had stumbled across aquaponics and I had customers coming in telling me, I heard you can put goldfish in your reservoir, blah, blah, blah. And of course I think it's BS because it just sounds so ridiculous. And when you hear what people say at hydroponic stores, they're like, oh yeah, you put black light on your plants or you put Kool-Aid in your nutrient reservoir or whatever. They have all these crazy ideas. So I just dismissed it, but I looked it up and I didn't see much convincing um, information about it until I stumbled across the University of the Virgin Islands publication, which is SRAC 454. And that was like the 17 page, this is exactly what the UVI system is. And it was the first time I had seen a commercial hydroponics and aquaculture approach that was rooted in research. And I just became obsessed with it. And I built a system in the back of our store and customers would come in and I tell them, Hey, I got this aquaponic system and they come back and everybody was just like totally amazed by it. And one day an architect named Ron Morgan came into my store and Ron has done a ton of uh, civic projects around Charlotte, North Carolina, um, huge um, civic design projects and public spaces and things like that. And he was taken to Haiti in 2010 after that earthquake that killed over 200,000 people. He was taken there to help redesign uh, like a sustainable village. How do you build something from the ground up that's rooted uh, with people first and rooted around agriculture and, and how are people going to be self-sustaining? And he had stumbled across aquaponics on the internet and he ended up in my store wanting to find out how to do it. And we met and we became really good friends. He was like 69 years old and I was 23. <laughs> so we were like, he could have been my grandpa, but we really hit it off. He was from Berkeley, California, and we just kind of like bonded over our vision for the future of the world. And so we started working together and we built 
our first like prototype aquaponics system that we thought we were going to send to Haiti and we built it in his front yard and all of a sudden kids from all around his neighborhood were coming to try and feed the fish every day and they were like all fascinated by it so I said well let's teach them how to run it and then they can just do it and then I'll have to show up as much and we can work on building our, our program so before I knew it, we had parents from around the neighborhood saying, why, you know, my kid's talking about science now, and they weren't talking about science before. And why is my nine-year-old talking about water chemistry? What are you guys doing? And then we had this like, wow, we, that wasn't expected. And it was kind of this like discovery of the power of aquaponics as a teaching tool. And next thing I know, I get a call when I'm still working at the hydroponics store from a juvenile detention center here, a max security one in North Carolina. And they just wanted an irrigation system for their greenhouse and wanted a quote. And so they came in and Ron said, I'm going to meet you there when they show up. And so Ron shows up and we pitch them on this idea to build an aquaponics system at the youth prison. And um, three months later, uh, we get a big grant and we have our first project on the ground. And it's at where we're still teaching now in Concord, North Carolina. We've been there for seven years um, and we teach an aquaponics program to 15 to 19 year old incarcerated young men. Um, and they also manage 25 raised beds in a field full of blueberry bushes. And I'm proud to also announce that uh, we just got uh, the program, got uh, $200,000, uh, half from the USDA and half from the North Carolina Governor's Crime Commission grant to expand in a big commercial facility there. And it will be the first uh, facility in the country in a juvenile incarceration facility that has a true farm to table program. So it'll be GAP certified. Students will grow all their own food and it will increase the nutritional outcomes of staff and students there. So that's our first project. And then we just started building our program uh, from the ground up off of that. And so now we're in 15, school, 15 schools Two of those are incarceration facilities, one for adults, one for juveniles. Um, and we just had to figure it out. Uh, unfortunately, my co-founder, Ron, uh, he passed away from brain cancer about five years ago. And at that time, we were really in a, we were, it was really rocky because he was really our leader. And um, luckily, I have two great uh, co-workers, Charlie and Monty, who have, they joined up right when Ron was before he was getting sick, but when he got sick, they really stepped in. And now we're all paid and staffed up and um, just lucky to have such a good team that's been so resilient. And uh, before I stop, the, uh, ir the irony about this is that none of us have a background in education at all. <laughs> and now like we're in this in-demand program because it is a symptom of our education system here in the United States. It's so detached from hands-on learning that when you can bring something real and tangible into the school and tie it into education standards, that everybody wants it. Uh, everybody's desperate for this engaging kind of education. So uh, it's just, it's funny because uh, it went from hydroponic store to uh, training teachers all around the place and then teaching in prisons. And we even installed two aquaponic systems in Haiti about six years ago. So it just, we, it just happened. It's like the most organic process ever. We, we really just got, we got in the car and let it take us where it was going to take us. So. Man, that's awesome. I love it. Um, so, so you're dealing with all these big grants and stuff. And I think what you're saying 
about aquaponics being a nice vehicle or a nice uh, system that kind of checks the boxes for all of these uh, funding opportunities or curriculums. Um, so what, what kind of uh, boxes does aquaponic check in terms of schools, prisons, grants? Like what are the things that they're looking for? Great question. So uh, in regards to the grants and things like that, uh, I did a webinar called Fundraising for Schools in Aquaponics that the Aquaponics Association released earlier this year. And so if you're interested in, in the grant piece for listeners out there, you, you can check that out. But uh, grants really came later in our development um, because at first we just offered some services and we're really upfront with the schools. Like we don't have our first like five schools. We didn't have curriculum at all. They just wanted aquaponics at their school and they liked us as an organization. So they were like, well, we'll get teachers and they'll develop curriculum with you. You just bring in the system, provide professional development technically, and make sure that if we have a problem, you're there for us and then come in and present to students and, and work with us. Like, let's turn this into something. So it kind of started like that. The things that aquaponics checks off from an educational standpoint is first, the hands-on education piece. So, and that to me is, is the most important one. We take science and we make it real. We take math and we make it real. And it all ties into sustainability and how you make money. And so when you can tie all those things in, then you have this sort of complete package for students because all of us, when we were in school growing up, had that thought, when am I ever going to apply this in my real life when I grow up? We all had that thought. When you're in calculus, right? You're like, when am I going to apply this? 99% of students that take calculus will never apply it. <laughs> it's worth knowing, I guess, because it makes you smarter, but um, aquaponics brings the engagement and, and the real life nature to it. Also um, from health outcomes, uh, like in the United States, obesity is at 40%. And that is a preventable disease. And that disease also leads to high blood pressure, diabetes, and every other thing. And if we can start to introduce young people to healthy eating through immersion, rather than saying, uh, you know, this is bad to eat, stop eating that. That never works with kids, never works with adults either. Uh, we all know our vices are bad for us. But if you can immerse students in a process that they grow their own food, then they are way more likely to eat it. So that's something that most educational programs cannot bring unless they're a garden program. Um, the third uh, point I wanna make here about your question specifically is that you have to do it in a climate controlled area because the biggest failure I've seen from school gardens, not just aquaponics, is that they're seasonal. And so they don't work. <laughs> if the growing season is mostly in the summer and kids don't go to school in the summer, then all you get is the tail end of fall in the beginning of spring. And that's all you get because if you start a spring garden in a school, uh, six weeks after that, they're just in into year testing. They're not worried about any of that programming. They're just getting ready for testing. So school gardens don't work unless you either have them indoors under lights or you have a perfect climate all year or you have a greenhouse. So you, you kind of have to incorporate that piece into it. If you can't check that box, the controlled environment piece, it's gonna be really hard to have a successful garden program at all. So it's just the nature of it. 
So what kind of uh, were the key motivations for getting into, or you were talking a little bit about uh, your partner having kind of the same vision for how you want to see the world. Um, where did that come from in terms of your own uh, kind of walk? Where did that uh, start? Uh, well, I've always like had sort of a heart for philanthropy. I don't know where it came from, but even when I was in fourth grade, I would volunteer at beginning a school to help special needs kids. I have no idea why I was attracted to doing that kind of thing, but I've always had it like in me. And then Ron was really amazing because all of the projects he had done, big, huge, multi-million dollar projects when he was younger, were uh, all based around people. He would assemble uh, 10 to 15 neighborhoods in the low-income part of Charlotte and assemble them. And then they would launch a bond referendum together and pass it. And the taxpayers would all agree to improve an entire section of the city. Ron would do that kind of stuff and get it done. So he was really um, able to galvanize people. And when I saw the way that he did public speaking, I, I just knew I wanted to be that. And um, getting as far as like the future of the world kind of stuff, I think that um, I don't really know where the, the commonalities lie, but I think it's just uh, I've always been really in touch with nature and things like that. And when I see the natural world getting destroyed, it's like the most heartbreaking thing ever to me. So when I see like a video on overfishing and I see tuna getting ripped out of the water and drowning on the deck of a ship for their can, that to me like really hurts. <laughs> like, as I know that that thing's going to be extinct in 10 years, you know, we're not going to have that anymore. Something that took 350 million years to evolve, just like that, we're going to take it out. And that like crushes me to think that our species is doing that. And so I, I think aquaponics, it's such a great way to tell that story about sustainability and how we can take pressure off our wild ecosystems, our natural ecosystems. We can put animals and plants in artificial ecosystems and then take and then let nature return to itself to some degree and, and minimize the damage. And so that, that's kind of the way I think that we can kind of save the planet. And aquaponics forces a discipline of thinking. It creates a new way of thinking because you have to think about it as a full system. It's not linear. It's dynamic. Hydroponics is quite is pretty linear in terms of the approach. Put in fertilizers, plants grow, sell plants. But uh, with aquaponics, it forces this much more holistic approach to uh, food production. And I think that makes you a better person in, in the long run. I know that sounds crazy, but I really think it does. Because you met the people in the aquaponics space, like 95% of them are just like the best people you've ever met. It's just different. It's way different than my experience in the hydroponics industry, where it was way driven for other reasons. I feel like the aquaponics industry is just people really trying to make a difference. Can you can you speak a little bit more about that? I'm curious what you saw in the hydroponic world and what were the driving influencers there? Yeah, so when I say hydroponics, I, I've never participated that much in the food production space of hydroponics. Because I was, I by the time I got into food production, I was already into aquaponics. But my um, the hobby hydroponics industry um, was not based at all in sustainability. It was based in high yields and growing like high potency crops, if you will. And it was all about competition: who's doing the best, who's using the most expensive stuff, 
And there was like all this following around brand names and shipping liquid fertilizers all over the world, which is ridiculous because you're just shipping water all over the place. And it just wasn't, um, it was fascinating from a science standpoint, but it kind of stopped there. There was no bigger picture to why everybody was doing it. It was just, um, it was it was a lot more selfish than the aquaponics uh, community. I mean, I have found exactly that where the aquaponic community, when you when you talk to the people there, they're just naturally inclined to care about stuff more, <laughs> uh, like yeah. the world more, and they're wanting to do. I mean, we just talked to someone who's doing uh, aquaponics for kids with disabilities, and yeah, it, it's just like there is a kind of uh, philanthropist heart uh, inside of an aquaponic grower. Um, so I'm, I'm just curious, how did you transition from hydroponics and the, even if it's just the, ho the hobby side of it to a more uh, commercial or food producing side of aquaponics? Yeah, so when I built that first system at the hydroponics store I was working at, we just I just built it out of like recycled materials. I mean, the whole thing I put together for a hundred dollars, but it was it was large for a hundred dollar system. I was able to get a free like, you know, those collapsible koi ponds that are like you know eight feet in diameter kind of thing. Uh, we already had one of those just laying there for years, not being used. So I put that up, got some wood, put a liner in it, and we started growing with that, and it worked great. And I had no idea that you had to add iron. I didn't hadn't seen the UVI docks yet. Um, and, or I had just seen them, but I didn't really get into the science of it yet. And it worked great. Um, and so I really was like, I remember thinking in my head that time, cause that was 10 years ago. I thought, man, if I could really figure this out, I'd be like in the front of the whole movement and I could be with the people who are pioneering it. And I just, I, so I just thought then I was like, man, I really want to focus on this. Like so many people are in the hydroponic space. It's all been figured out and I don't have much to contribute there, but I can contribute to this. So uh, after that, I built a large backyard system with a friend named Don and he was running an air conditioning company. We built a uh, 20 by 30 greenhouse at a PVC and then went to tractor supply and got a bunch of stock tanks for the fish tanks. And we built a UVI system out of stock tanks, Rubbermaid tubs for filters and a 20 by 30 foot greenhouse made out of PVC. And it really worked. And that's when I started applying, like I didn't reinvent anything. Uh, I just used all the research from UVI and followed their guidelines. I fed it 60 grams per square meter per day. I cleaned the filters twice a week. I added iron at a rate of two parts per million and I adjusted pH with calcium, potassium, hydroxide. It worked like a charm. It truly, uh, that's when I realized how great that information was because someone like me from the hydroponics world who had never grown fish, uh, I was able to get into it and be successful right away and start producing consistently right away. And that's when I, it just like was so clear to me that um, the answers had already been figured out for the most part in terms of production systems. They're going to get better, but we have a baseline now to be aquaponics producers and mostly thanks to UVI uh, because they really were the ones who pioneered this stuff. And it's funny because a lot of the discussions, I don't, it, uh, did you see uh, Wilson Leonard's talk at the aquaponics conference last year? Last year, yeah, I did. And he referenced this. He said, everybody wants to come up with something new <laughs> and still nothing has 
been able to really beat the UVI design. You can improve on it, but the basics of that design are still the basis for every commercial aquaponics farm in the world. And um, and the yield really generated by even variations of it don't really, they're not like large amounts of yield beyond what UVI has produced. Correct. Yeah. And, um, and from a technical standpoint, uh, I think people get really caught up that they can do it better. And the, the main thing is take the information that's already there, adapt it to your conditions. And if there is a way to optimize it, then make small adjustments. Um, one of the things that I learned, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think people find it interesting. When we started moving to bead filters, uh, rather than using like just screen pads uh, in a settling tank, like the UVI system, our nitrates uh, went up. And we had really like kind of skipped over the fact that the UVI systems filter tanks act as denitrification tanks. And so they were designed to maintain uh, nitrate levels that are more ideal than when you don't have that denitrification. Because when you don't, you can have nitrates up at 200, 300, 400, and everything else is in balance, but those nitrates just knock everything out uh, and they create these nutrient imbalances. So us trying to improve the labor around filtration uh, made us delete a critical part of the UVI system, which was the nitrate management. Now we still use bead filters, but we're trying to find other ways to do denitrification. The bead filter performance from a labor standpoint is amazing. And then it doesn't scare young people in the city because no one wants to no one wants to pull really gross filter pads out, especially when you got on some nice Nikes because you're in high school trying to show off for all the ladies. So <laughs> you gotta have the bead filter uh, for a perception standpoint for the work we do and um to make it nice make it clinical and clean but uh that's what I, you that's get for innovating <laughs> yeah i know exactly so i just wanted to just mention that real quick from the way i was able to be successful at first and get excited about aquaponics as a career was the uvi design allowed me to be successful and i had enough experience growing plants that i could take the best information from the hydroponics world in terms of uh, starting seeds right, getting the light levels right, climate right. And then I was able to apply that into an aquaponics context using the UVI system. Do you find that the, the quick road to successful um, growing is attractive to students? Yeah, it is, uh, especially with LED lights, because, you know, the new LED technologies, uh, you, people are just using shop lights now because white LEDs are full spectrum uh, and they cost seven, $8 a piece from China to get a four foot 20 watt fixture. And now that allows for students because what's hard from a student standpoint is to think, all right, I need to go out and raise money for a 60 by 96 greenhouse like that. That's really hard to think about. How am I as a 20 year old person gonna go raise $200,000 to start a commercial farm? But now, with LED lights, you can say, man, I actually can start a, a racked aquaponic system in my basement for $3,000. And that would break even as a pilot for my business. And I can actually sell lettuce at $2 a head and break even, if not a little bit more in just my basement. That would allow me to create my proof of concept and all that stuff. And so 
that to me, the LED has been the, the biggest advancement in all of growing, especially the white LEDs, because it's made it affordable to grow indoors for the first time. It didn't used to be like that. For LEDs, no one was growing lettuce indoors with high pressure sodium lights or metal halides or anything. It was just too costly. But now you're able to do these things for really cheap and it gets people excited about at least putting a pilot project together. So uh, do you have any stories or things that your students that you work with are saying about the aquaponics system? Yeah, uh, the reason that we got the uh, some of these large grants at the juvenile corrections program we have is because of uh, we lead student, we have student led tours there. So we have um, officials from around the state when they come visit, we have students give the tour and the breakdown of how the aquaponics system works and, and take them around. And over the last seven years, we've had several students who end up getting jobs in the field, not aquaponics specifically, but in the field of agriculture at some point. So we have students that because our program develop an interest in landscaping, develop an interest in horticulture. So they'll end up at the garden center at Lowe's when they get out. Or uh, we've had students that pursue plumbing because of one experience that they've had inside of the greenhouse where like a pipe broke. And then there'll be like one passionate student who'll stay with me after class and then I'll teach them how to mend uh, PVC joints and how to, what PVC solvent and cement is and how to do it. And when they do it and then it doesn't leak, all of a sudden they're like, man, people get paid $75 an hour to do that? And you're like, yeah, they do. It's called plumbing. Uh, and then you get this interest going in them because they used to think plumbing is like being bent over with part of your butt crack hanging out and people looking over your shoulder while you work and all that stuff. And they didn't realize that it's $75 an hour uh, to be a plumber. And so it's still with people. the butt crack and people looking over your shoulder, but 75 <laughs> <Yeah>. an hour. <laughs> but if you're in the aquaponics program, your pants probably fit better. <laughs> That's awesome. So you, you also mentioned earlier that you have done some systems abroad, like in Haiti. Um, how has your experience been with that? So it was, uh, it was pretty great uh, in terms of getting it started and the community support. We were invited by communities in Haiti that had connections with churches here to go and do those projects. Uh, unfortunately, uh, one has been just completely converted to a fish farm. So they took all the rafts and everything um, and then turned those into uh, fish growing systems. I'm totally cool with that, uh, by the way. The other one uh, was an orphanage and they moved and they haven't reset up the system yet. It was very small. The first one I mentioned um, is in a village called Mahanaim and the whole thing was cast out of concrete. So I had the honor of leading a team of 30 Haitian laborers and we built a whole aquaponics system out of, out of concrete, poured concrete and uh, all runoff solar panels. It was really, really cool. And um, it worked kind of. Uh, I was a bit naive in that I assumed that we could grow specific crops there. Um, but what I didn't anticipate was how hard it was gonna be to source certain materials. First bad thing that happened was the styrofoam that we found ended up soaking up water and sinking. So because they don't have extruded polystyrene, we couldn't find it. All we could find was the expanded polystyrene, which is the stuff with the little balls all in it. 
and uh, that stuff absorbs water and it sinks. So it started growing algae at first, fungus gnats came everywhere. And that's when I realized, all right, well, if we can't find an extruded polystyrene, then we're kind of screwed uh, because we, there is no other material that we can use to suspend those plants. That's not either going to break down really quickly over time or something else. So then I started thinking, well, maybe we could fill it with media, fill those beds with media and do a, a flood and drain or something like that. Um, never got that far. They just started growing fish and everything. And, and I kind of get it, like, because to them, it's a, they already have agriculture in the, in the ground figured out pretty well. Uh, they didn't, they weren't like desperate for some solution. They just wanted to see if it was commercially viable. And it turns out for them, the most commercially viable thing is to grow a ton of fish in a recirculating system, do a good amount of water exchange, but all that water goes to irrigate in-ground crops. And so it's kind of similar to when you had Paul Brown on one episode, and he was talking about these other applications for aquaponics. It doesn't have to be a UVI system. It could just be a fish farm beside a field of soil, and then you can use that nutrient water to irrigate plants. And that's kind of the approach that they've taken there um, in Haiti, is to use the, the tilapia water as fertilizer and then do more water exchanges to keep the, the fish healthy, but don't waste any of that water, just irrigate. So how have you seen establishing the system there in Haiti in those communities and establishing them in prisons and uh, schools where you're at um, differ in terms of execution, sourcing, that kind of stuff? Yeah, it's very different. Um, I'm not convinced that aquaponics as, as the Western world sees it is even appropriate in a place like Haiti. Um, unless you were just building a compound and you had all the resources to get all the alternative energies working, import all the materials, because the Western aquaponics has been developed off Western economies. So you can get anything you need within a matter of three days. Like just, it's just how it is. But in a place like Haiti, those things arrive in a month and they're more expensive. So not only do the people have way less money, but all the supplies cost a lot more. So it just doesn't work in terms of the way we know it. Getting fish feed was super hard. Uh, now they have it there. Wyclef John has a foundation where he sells um, like animal feeds to help farmers there. I didn't know that, but so we get fish feed from Wyclef John's place. Uh, and then, um, so the, the sourcing materials is difficult. In terms of our stuff we have here in the United States, everything depends on leadership for schools and in correctional facilities. If you don't have support from leadership, don't even do it because you need people at the top who can help pull resources together and hold, and hold people accountable. Because one thing that we ran into early on is we'd have these really enthusiastic teachers who want to do aquaponics. They would go get like a small grant for five or $10,000 we'd come in, set them up like a system, and then they'd leave the next year because they're like the best teacher of the school. That's why they're doing all the cool innovative stuff. And then they get promoted and they're up in the district. And then the next year you have someone that replaces them who has zero interest in an aquaponics system. And then all of a sudden you have equipment lying there unused with your logo on it. And so then it's like, all right, it's okay that they don't want to use it, but now this is a bad look on us as a nonprofit because this giving the perception that what we do doesn't work right so 
we have to be very careful with the schools that we partner with um, in terms of getting it set up and everything because you won't get good programming and you won't get the follow through and all those things if you don't have support from the top. So the main thing we've learned is to get agreements going with schools where you can evaluate at the end of each year as a team and they see you as a real partner rather than a client, you know? So we're not a business that they hire for all the information. We do charge, but we are truly a community partner. And if you're a school that we're with, <clears throat> Uh, and you have a budget shortfall and you can't pay us, then we work together and we do a fundraising campaign together as a nonprofit. So there's, we really try to have long-term partnerships. So that for logistically, that's, that's the key. Um, but every school varies in terms of how difficult it is to get something off the ground. Usually it takes about a year. Uh, so if you were to contact me about doing an aquaponics program at your school, it would take about a year before everything's set up. That's good. I, I don't think we can possibly close without talking about your other talents. Um, for everyone watching, Sam is also a killer musician in a band called Tiger. And he literally is Dude Grows Fish by day and shredding the guitar <laughs> by night. Um, and <laughs> Sam, do you want to tell us more about that? But I, 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 won't, I don't want you to be modest. I want you to be straightforward because you're pretty accomplished. So let's hear it. Oh, thanks. Uh, so I've been in bands for 15 years. Um, I recently... I call it our local super group because we've all been in bands that have done something over the last 15 years and all those bands fell apart. And then here we are as like five dudes. We all kind of met up and then we have this band now. We'll be releasing our first music here in the next month or so. Just hired a manager. But uh, yeah, I've been lucky enough to be on a part of several regional and national tours over the years. Uh, I'm not playing on huge stages or anything, but we definitely got to live little bit of the rock star life so that's been cool um and uh it's been a good it's been a good fit for aquaponics because it's just all about having fun <laughs> so uh it, it's a good it's a good thing um also was really lucky that uh i got to do a ted talk so i got to present at a tedx event and that was that was really cool so i'm just aquaponics brought me a lot of really cool things uh and then i'm hoping that if I can do another tour with the band, then every city I go to, I can meet people doing aquaponics in that city and start to document that kind of thing too. And like, see what people are doing all across the country in aquaponics and make that a part of what I do if I do get to travel doing this. So uh, that'll be, that'll be cool. So Sam, where can people find out more about what you're doing? <clears throat> so best place is uh, 100gardens.org. And that's numerical, 100gardens.org. And then if you want to follow me on TikTok, uh, I'm at, at DudeGrowthFish. Yeah, yeah, yeah.